Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message and we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We're located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After listening to this message, take a moment to browse our website for current and upcoming events. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Matthew, Matthew 16 this morning. Matthew 16.1 says, The Pharisees and the Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. He replied, When evening comes, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. In the morning, today will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a miraculous sign but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus, said, uh, Jesus then left them and went away. When Jesus went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They discussed this amongst themselves and said, Is it because we didn't bring any food? Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, You or Jesus, uh, Jesus asked, you of little faith, why are you talking amongst yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls were gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it that you don't understand? I'm not talking to you about bread. But be on the guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he was not telling them to, to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, we've talked a little bit about the Pharisees and Sadducees from time to time, but they've come north from, uh, from Jerusalem. And, and like I said before, this is about a week's worth of journey. And they're coming out to, to, to check Jesus and, and to check him out and to see how his teachings, and really to be kind of contrary toward him, try to, try to t- pinpoint to difficulties that, that uh, they have with the scriptures when it comes to Jesus. And Jesus is never one to really run from confrontation. But as we talked about last week, sometimes it's, it's good to get out of the situation when, it's, when, when you're in the middle of a hot and, and just kind of a feisty situation where we're fighting, you know, when, when you're kind of going beyond the level of discussion. You know what I'm saying? Well, sometimes Jesus would do that, but sometimes he would stay right there and, and just go at them. Now, the Pharisees and the Sadducees are two very different groups. The Pharisees are very legalist. Uh, the highest moral standards they would, they would attain to. 
Um, the epitome of holier than thou. And if you've ever known a holier than thou person, you understand what I'm talking about. They may uh, appear very holy. They may follow the rules. They may, I mean, from the outside, they look great. And this is how the Pharisees looked. A Pharisee knows the Bible, and man, can he quote it. They can argue you to the ground. They don't know just a little, you know, one verse. Oh, well, 1 Peter 5, 8 says, and blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. They can quote you the whole book of 1 Peter. I mean, you know what I'm saying. That's where the Pharisees were. They lived their whole life learning the Scriptures. Their attitude was, this is how I behave. If you want to see perfection, look at me. That was their attitude. The Pharisee believed that salvation was dependent on perfect obedience to the law, which kind of cracks me up because they couldn't have perfect obedience to the law. Have you read Leviticus? Have you read Deuteronomy? Could you follow those laws? Absolutely not. Yet they believed that salvation was depending on, uh, dependent on them following those laws. People who listened to Jesus would be shocked with, him, with hearing him calling the Pharisees hypocrites because they considered these guys the salt of the earth. They considered these, these uh, Pharisees to be genuinely, um, you know, admired. They were good, moral people. So for Jesus to come up against them and say, you hypocrites, as he said last week in, in other parts of the scripture, they would be like almost shocked about him hearing them, uh, him saying that. But the Pharisees were very different than, I mean, the Sadducees were very different than the Pharisees. While the Pharisees um, held the, the rest of the Old Testament of Scripture beyond the first five books, so they held all the, the prophets, you know, the Scriptures from the, the minor prophets and the major prophets, they held this, you know, the historical books and all those things as Scriptures, the Sadducees didn't. They only believed in the first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch, the books of Moses. So you have Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. And you can get through Genesis and Exodus pretty well. But you hit numbers, and, and numbers is okay, but Leviticus and Deuteronomy, you start falling asleep at night, don't you? As you try to read through your Bible? Those are the ones you're sitting there going, I, I don't get this at all. But they only, you know, and, and they literally, they didn't hold those literally also. Because the Sadducee was, um, they didn't believe in miracles. They did not believe in life after death. They did not believe in angels well, the Pharisee relied on faith and obedience. The Sadducee relied on, on rationale and, and reason, on logic and substance. So we, the good way to remember this is they were very sad, you see. Sad, you see. Sad, you see, because they didn't believe in life after death. If the Pharisee was the legalist or the lawyer, the Sadducee was a rationalist or, or maybe a modern-day scientist in a sense. The Pharisee would have been the, the conservative and the Sadducee would have been the liberal. See, the Pharisee hated Rome and hated the fact that Rome was even in charge at all. And the Sadducee would just, well, they would rather not have Rome, but since Rome's there, we'll, we'll compromise and, and deal with it. It's interesting that by the time that Jesus came, most of the high priest roles were, were held by Sadducees. Because the Roman, because they cooperated with the Roman government. So the Roman government helped appoint the high priest, which is so, you know, just odd in our thinking because we think the Roman government has nothing to do with religion. Yet here they're saying, no, no, this guy is high priest, which is kind of interesting because they don't believe in miracles. 
You have a high priest that's supposed to lead worship for Israel in the God of the universe that doesn't believe in angels, doesn't believe in miracles, doesn't believe in, in the first five books of the Bible, literally. I mean, think about that for a second. And these were the ones that were the spiritual leaders of Israel. See, where the Pharisee was unbending, the Sadducee was very pragmatic, and these two groups did not get along one bit. Now, we would not understand that in today's political world, would we? At all, right? I see a lot of smiles, but no laughing. I don't get that one. But they did agree on one issue. They absolutely did not like Jesus of Nazareth. See, Jesus of Nazareth was saying and doing things that were threatening to them. Uh, they arrived and, and they decided, okay, well, we've arrived in town. Jesus is over there t- teaching. And, and like all politicians do, of the, you know, they kind of feel like, well, they're in control, right? They're the most powerful political figures there, so they ought to be in charge. So they interrupt them when they get there. So they say to Jesus, hey, Jesus, we came all this way. Can you just show us a sign in the sky? I mean, give us a custom-made miracle. Now, how many of you would love a custom-made miracle? I mean, we all would, right? Give us a custom-made miracle and give it to us right now. So once and for all, we can understand who you are and what you're all about. See, when Mark tells a story uh, in Mark 8, he says that Jesus groaned when they said this. Now, what does it sound like when somebody groans? Well, I mean, let's all groan for a second. Ugh. Oh, come on. Usually, eye rolling goes with it. My son, ever so often, would go, Daddy, don't roll your eyes. Jesus groaned. He groaned at their obvious inability to see the signs that he had already given them. Now, Jesus has been on the road for over two years with his disciples. And we've been in Matthew, the book of Matthew, for several weeks here. Let's see, what, 16 chapters, 12, 13 months. We're moving right along. But one of the things that they've discovered here is that there is no shortage of miracles with Jesus. There's no shortage of signs with Jesus. The masses have been pressing in every day. Wherever he goes, they bring in people who need healing. They bring in the, the people who who are hurt and lame and blind. I mean, they're tearing up roofs to get the people to Jesus. I mean, Jesus was famous for his signs and miracles, wasn't he? I mean, if you've learned anything as we've gone through this this book, you understand that Jesus was famous for this. But he came for so much more than that. He came to teach. And oftentimes, he would have to heal the people first for them to actually listen to his teaching. So then they would sit down and they would listen to him. I mean, just spend a few days around Jesus and you would see all sorts of signs. Now, what's interesting is the Pharisees agreed that the scripture said that when the Messiah came, he would be worker, he would be a worker of miracles. And, you know, here Jesus is walking around Galilee and he's healing people and he's teaching people. He even raised people from the dead. And after he does the miracles, he feeds everyone in another miracle. Then he walked across the lake. So, I mean, you can understand why Jesus would just go, ah, 
You've got to be joking. You know, the attitude that comes with that groan. You, 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 oh, man. I mean, Jesus' attitude would have been, would you believe if I just gave you a sign right here and now? And the answer would be no. Now, there's another thing in play here for the Pharisees and Sadducees. The Pharisees were very familiar with the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is packed with the little, like, check marks. You know, because there was a lot of people who said they were the Messiah. So the Pharisees would go through the Old Testament, and they'd have a check, checklist. You know, I have one of those apps, and I love my app. In my, in my iPhone, it has checklists. I can make my own checklist. and go check, check, check. The Pharisees are like that. They have their list that they can check off. Does this meet, guy meet the criteria of the Messiah? Let's go through. Let's check it. Some of these checks would have been vague, but many were not. I mean, take Micah 5.2. It says the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Now, Jesus was called Jesus of Nazareth. It would be an honest mistake to just assume that he was born in Nazareth. But you're a Pharisee. You, you want the details. You would be a fact checker. I mean, if someone told you your garage was cleaned up, they would go out and they would check the garage to make sure you cleaned it up, right? Do we have any like that in our households? Your child comes in and says, I did this. And you go and check. That's a Pharisee. Now, I'm not calling you a Pharisee. I'm just saying that those same tendencies there. I mean, are you, are you married to a fact checker? I mean, if you go on a trip, you don't have to worry about the airline tickets, what time you need to be somewhere, uh, you know, what, what you're supposed to do, when and where and, and how. And if, you, and if they ever forgot something... Who are they mad at? Themselves. They're mad at themselves, right? And then you're mad at them too because you were relying on them. See, that was a Pharisee. They were fact checkers. I mean, they were, they were just, okay, does this match? Okay, check. You would think that one of the Pharisees would have checked this out. Hey, Micah 5 says that you're going to be born in Bethlehem, but you're called Jesus of Nazareth. What gives? Hosea 11.1 1 says, out of Egypt I have called my son. See, all the rabbis of the day figured this was a messianic uh, passage, scripture here. And the New Testament quotes it. Any Pharisee worth his salt would have checked this out. Hey, have you ever been to Egypt? Did you ever come out of Egypt? But they avoided asking those questions. Isaiah 7, 14 says, The Lord himself will give you a sign. A virgin will conceive and bear a son. Did they even go ask Mary? No. See, they were all about their rules. They were all about their regulations. They weren't about the scripture. They weren't about the word of God. They thought they were, but they were really avoiding that. Five or six days they have traveled. You think one of them would have remembered Isaiah 9 saying, In Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who have walked in darkness have now seen a great light. I mean, Galilee, this is where they're traveling to. Why couldn't they see this? The answer is because they didn't want to. That is the bottom line. There are people that you can give evidence uh, of God, evidence of, of Jesus to over and over. You can give them the truth. You can live it out in front of them day after day after day, and they will say, I need a sign. 
How do you know if Jesus is really the Messiah? Well, have you checked into it? Have you researched it? See, many people just don't want to know because they don't want to think about it. Many of the Pharisees didn't want to know either. When Jesus used parables to teach, why didn't any of the Pharisees remember Psalm 78? And it says, the Messiah said, I will open my mouth in parables. This was a thousand years before Jesus was born. David told us to look for a man teaching parables. Okay, in the scripture, we might notice that it says that they were trying to test Jesus. See, they wanted their very own personal miracle from Jesus. They wanted something special. You know what? We're like this today, aren't we? Man. People will ignore the obvious truth, and it will come down to one miracle. Now listen to me. I don't want to sound uncompassionate. I don't. Because, I mean, I've lost loved ones. Many of you have lost loved ones. But have you ever heard someone say, I don't believe in God because my so-and-so, my son, my father, my husband, my wife, my daughter died. He took my husband. I, be- I refuse to love God and serve him. Because I prayed, God, if you exist, you have got to heal. And God didn't do what I, did, what I said. Therefore, I do not believe. Now again, I want to be careful here. The person who says this type of thing is in tremendous grief. And I don't expect them to, to be thinking straight. And we shouldn't preach to those who are grieving. But at the same time, we have to address the logic of what they are believing because the foundation is a grief theology-based foundation. Now, they say, you know, anger is good in grief. It helps you kind of get through things sometimes. So I wouldn't preach at them. But on the other hand, if they never work through it, if they never get through it, they're being robbed of eternal life through faulty premises. I prayed to God. I asked him to do it. He didn't do it. Therefore, I don't believe in God. This is a faulty premise. It puts that person and their desires at the center of the universe. It puts that person in the position of God, determining what should happen in every situation. I mean, we could extrapolate this out. Well, now that you've done that for me, God, now I want you to do this, 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 and this. You did that, so therefore you need to do this for me. You see what I'm saying? Do you follow that logic, what I'm trying to say? Let me ask you a question. Do you really want to serve a God who does what we tell him all the time? Man, some of us would be like, yeah. But in reality, this would be one screwed up world if we did, right? Because what happens if, if my desire is different than Joe's desire, which is different than Bob's desire, that's different than so-and-so's desire? You see what I'm saying? It's all about the same subject, but we all have different desires. Well, which one should God follow? How about the one that God wants to follow? How about the one that God has ordained to follow? 
See, we have a really warped sense of things. Now, if you follow baseball at all, and if you have a batting average of 3 to 350, I mean, you can make millions of dollars and we call you a success, right? That still means you failed two-thirds of the time. But think of it like this. In our decisions, our personal decisions, what is your batting average? Are you a 300? 400? 500? 600? 100? That means you get 1 out of 10 decisions, right? Where are you on that scale? I don't mean you made a good decision. I'm saying you made the right decision, the right one. See, if you ask a very successful person, they will tell you that they fell more often than they succeeded. I mean, how many times have you been right and you know it? I mean, there's times when we know we're right, right? I I tell my wife all the time, I'm right. Thank God for the internet because I can look it up and say, see? But I kind of ignore those times when I look it up and go, oh, I was wrong. I mean, how many times have you been wrong when you thought you were right? Now, doesn't it feel exactly the same for a while? I mean, you're confident that you're right, you understand. But I mean, you're, you're dead wrong and you defended it, and later on you find out you were wrong. When you defended it, did you think you were wrong? No. See, when we're grieving, we're not thinking straight. Then we feel disappointed in the decision that God made. It feels right to reject God. But you have to consider that sin has entered into this world and has messed up things that God intended to be a certain way. And this is when we have to put our trust in God. See, this is the part that the Pharisee wanted no part of. Show me a sign right now. Show me a sign. I want a trick. Do a trick. I'll give you a treat afterward. And if you don't perform for me, I'm not going to believe in you and I will crucify you. They will do this over and over and over to Jesus from now on. They will try to trick him over and over. He will come back to them and say, you hypocrite. And it's shocking to them and others because hypocrite was not a word that others used. It's a new use of this word. A hypocrite was an actor who wore a mask to, to portray different people. When my wife and I would go back home to, to Houston, we'd love to go to this one little theater where they have three people that play like 12 to 15 different characters in this play. It's, it's hilarious how they do it. And they pull out different masks, different wigs, different facial things, put on a pair of glasses, and you follow the characters unbelievably well. This goes all the way back times. And they're basically being hypocrites. That's what Jesus is saying. You wear a mask really, really well. You are not sincere, but you don't want to know. Jesus tells them, you can predict the weather. When the evening comes, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning today, it's going to be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. How difficult is that? 
You walk out, there's very dark clouds, there's no sun out. Hey, I think it might rain today. Now, I know here in Tulare it doesn't, but in the rest of the world it does, believe me. I mean, in Texas, you could see the rain coming at you. It's like no rain and rain, and it just comes right at you. It's easy to, to do that. Yet you can't see the Messiah. The sky? But you can't see what, what I've been doing for the last two years from Jesus' per perspective. You can't admit it because it would mean you have been wrong. And then you would have to change. Don't you hate it when you're wrong? Especially in something that you finally realize, oh, I'm going to have to start changing the way I do this because I've been wrong. Here I've been doing it this way, thinking it was right, and now oh, I've got to change. And then we have to make a decision. Am I going to change or not? And that's what the Pharisee was trying to avoid. Jesus is like, you're not interested in the truth. Now, remember, Jesus has already said this in Matthew 12. You will seek a sign. The only sign I'm going to give you is Jonah. And we actually talked kind of through Jonah at that point, and I'm not going to go back there. But here again, he repeats himself. You will get a sign all right, and you won't understand it. The sign will be me dying for, for your sins, and for three days I will disappear. I will be down in, in hell, and, and, you know, what they call, sh uh, sh uh, I can't even pronounce it now, um, a, a place where all they, they went, the holding place at that point, but I will be back. And you will not even recognize it after I resurrected as a sign. Now, these guys don't like it when you talk to them this way. So Jesus gets in a boat and he leaves. And in the middle of all this, the disciples leave the cooler setting on the dock. They're packing up for the trip. The Pharisees show up. There's a heated discussion going on. And Peter and Andrew, or whoever it was, left the bread in the cooler. And, and they're like, oh, no, Jesus will be mad because we don't have lunch. Now, I was talking to, uh, I think, Donna Finley um, a while back. And they were talking about a, a camping trip they went on. And, and they all packed up. And, and they finally got to the to camp. And they pulled out all their food. And they went, well, where's the meal? There was no meal. They had left the meal. So automatically, now she didn't say this, but automatically you're thinking, well, who left it? Whose job was it? That's what the Pharisees are going through. Who left it? Jesus is like, boy, this isn't about the cooler on the dock, guys. You don't even get it. He says in verse 6, Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They discussed this amongst themselves and said, Is it because we didn't bring any bread? Now, have you ever seen a, a picture of frustrated Jesus? I mean... I, I like different kinds of pictures of Jesus, and, and, and most of the time he's pretty serious. You know, he's got that serious look, that, that teacher look. But my, my favorite, my personal favorite, is this one. I love the laughing Jesus, because we don't picture him as laughing, do we? We don't picture him as having fun. We picture him as the rule maker of the family, right? But sometimes I feel like Jesus is looking at me like this. Ugh. I'm not talking about the bread, Alan. Ah. You know, if they had texting back then, Jesus would be texting saying this, 
Oh my God, God. Sorry, I had to throw that one in there. But he calls them little faithers. Verse 8, it says, aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, you, or Jesus, yeah, he did ask. I thought he said, but he said, he asked, you have little faith. Why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or even the, or, or, or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? I mean, does any of this ring a bell, guys? I mean, this is what he's talking about. I, I, I think if, if we forgot the cooler, I could produce the cooler here if it was about that. See, this is what's so amazing. Just a few days ago, Jesus literally fed in a very short amount of time at two different places 25 to 35,000 people off of a few fish and a few loaves of bread. Guys, it's not about the stinking bread. How many times do I need to work this miracle for you people to finally get it? Isn't it sad when we're like this? We are completely desperate a few days after God does a miracle in our life. I mean, have you ever done that? God provided something. You, you were just pulling your hair out and sitting there going, how, am I, how are we going to accomplish this? How am I going to pay this bill? How am I going to do this? And then God completely provides, and either you recognize that it was his provision or not, but God provides, Lord, 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 I need you to do this. And he does it. And then two weeks later, we're back in the same place going, uh, what am I going to do? Jesus is saying, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. The way that they are thinking is working itself into the bread of your religion. You see, a little bit of law is good. A little bit of grace is good. A little bit of conservative a little bit of liberal is good. Long grace is good. But once the yeast has done its work, what do you do? You bake the cake. Otherwise, the yeast will wreck the dough, won't it? If you like to cook, you understand what I'm saying. If you don't, you're sitting there going, what is he talking about? Have you ever left dough with yeast? too long you know once we decided uh, uh, Mr. B and, and his wife uh, came up to visit Lisa and I in, in Nebraska uh, right after we got married and they came up and they were there in our little apartment we decided to make uh, cinnamon rolls so we did somehow we didn't follow the recipe like we should have so, you know, we roll it all up, and then you slice it. So you got this kind of log, and you slice it all up, and you set it out, and you're supposed to let it rise for a little while. Well, we had too much yeast in it. So these little cinnamon rolls supposed to be about this big around. Ended up each one about this big around. We're looking for every pan in the house, you know. We're like, how do we bake these suckers? Too much yeast is not a good thing. Don't allow legalism to overtake you. 
Pastor, there are too many people in this world sinning. I can't even go out of my house. I mean, I, I got to keep the kids, you know, out of this world. Uh, you know, unless they, they think and act exactly like me. Oh, no, not, not in my family. No, uh-uh. Mm-mm. You got to watch out for this because it destroys friendships. It destroys relationships. We're supposed to be the light of the world. We're not supposed to be preaching to everybody about how they should live. Think of an inward sermon. This is, this is for the inward part. We're supposed to let our light shine so it glorifies God on a daily basis. We've got to watch out for legalism. Now, again, I'm not saying don't protect your family from the world. A little bit of legalism is good, but let's not take it to the extreme. But we also have to watch out for liberalism in faith because then all of a sudden all our beliefs are politically correct. And he's saying, watch out for the thought of, you know, I don't want to offend anybody, so therefore I won't say Merry Christmas or a Happy Easter or Jesus loves you because I don't want to offend people. My response to that is, yes, you do. Our life is offensive to people. Just go watch the news and how they treat Christian thoughts and themes and, and discussions on the news and in the, in the media. Christianity is offensive But don't offend them by throwing a Bible in their face. Offend them by living as light in this dark world. Let it offend them because Jesus is offensive. He is very offensive. He only made it 33 years on this earth before they killed him for not being politically correct. I want to say follow the real Jesus, not the Sunday school Jesus. And have some fun in your conversations. But we've got to watch out for the liberalism in our beliefs, stuff like... Well, all religions lead to God. Bible, Koran, it's all the same. No, it's not. You've got to watch out for those compromises. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, I want to say one last thing. I don't want us to back down as Christians. But at the same time, I don't want us to look for situations where we go out there and be confrontational on purpose. Because Jesus' life, if you look at his life, he drew people to him with his love. We need to be such a loving individual and such a loving church that it draws people to him. Not to us, but to him. That's what Jesus is trying to get out of us. So while you don't let, allow the yeast into our thoughts, we don't allow those things, you know, the, the thought of, well, is there a God or not a God? Don't allow that yeast into your thoughts. Follow your faith. Stay true to your faith. Because we want our love, we want it to shine out of our lives. We want to let it go out into this world. And I think too often we've got to a point where we just kind of shut that off because the world doesn't want to see our light. So therefore, we put up the shades, we put up the blinders, whatever you want to call it. But we don't allow it to shine in our jobs. We don't allow it to, to shine through our kids at school. We don't allow it to, to, to shine to our neighbors because we don't want to offend them. We don't want to offend them. How sad is that? So you have Jesus here telling them, going, hey guys, watch out 
for the Pharisees. Watch out for the legalism. Watch out for the, the uh, I mean, really, it's two-pronged. You've got the legalistic person going, well, you're sinning. You, you, need to, you need to live this way. I've been watching you. What you're doing is wrong. You have that legalism. And then you have the other, other part of it that's, well, I, I'm going to protect my family so much, I'm never going to allow them in, out into this world. Man, and that's a hard one if you have young kids. I mean, Lisa and I, we, we've been discussing since the day that we found out she was pregnant. Is Brandon going to go into public school? Is he going to be in private school? Is he going to be homeschooled? Is he going to go to a charter school? And we're still wrestling about that, and he's three, three and a half years old. How much do we protect our kids, and how much do we allow our kids to be the light into this world? That's a hard one, especially when we pass certain laws in this state. But we can't corral ourselves to the point of we never allow the world to be, get in at all. Man. Mm. But at the same time, we don't go so liberal where we just say, well, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Allow that thought into, yeah, yeah, no, 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 that, that's acceptable because Jesus loves sinners. Jesus loves everybody. Well, there's a difference between a person who's grown up in church and knows what God expects of them, and somebody who walks into a church for the first time and doesn't know about God. You love them into the church. This one you go to and say, look, what you're doing is a sin, it's wrong. You see the difference? Jesus is saying, watch out for the liberalism, but don't forget your faith. Don't forget what I expect out of you, but don't just allow everything to happen within the church, within the kingdom of God. Too often we're like the disciples. Oh man, I left the bread. And Jesus is just shaking his head going, come on, get what I'm trying to say to you. It's about faith. It's about his love. It's about this world being darkness and him being the light of your life that shines into the world. Well, let's stand and pray as uh, they come back out for one last song. I've always enjoyed when these guys come and lead worship. Let's pray. Lord, we, we pray that we're not like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. We pray that when we are like them, that you pointed out to us that we not allow the legalism of this world to destroy our lives, but we not allow the, uh, the liberalism of this world to just say, well, everything goes to you, God. There comes a point where we have to confront people, but there's also a point where we just love them. Love them into your kingdom. We pray that you allow your spirit to discern which one we need to do and when. I pray that we're the light of this world that we not back down from that light, that we not shield that light, that we be the light on the hill so other people are drawn to you. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you and may you reflect his love into this world. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.